Hello everybody and welcome back to Rowan and the Wasteland, where we discuss a film and honor its place amongst its peers. I am the titular Rowan and joining me as always, he's still not 100 years old and he feels good being part of this business. It's Shane Kanto, ladies and gentlemen. I am the titular Wasteland, even though that's not my name and that won't be changing anytime soon because I'm not (laughs) bold enough to do that. Um, But hopefully I will be living until I'm 100. That would be pretty great. That Can you imagine pretty great. all the films you could watch? <laughs> and like, I'd be watching movies until like 20, 2091. Wow. That's crazy. That'd be pretty cool. <laughs> um, well, uh, we're, we're switching things up today for this show just a little bit. Uh, we are going to talk mm-hmm. about our first documentary on Rowan and the Wasteland, which is the first, but hopefully not the last, uh, subversion of our of our typical formula. Uh, Shane, what is this documentary that we watched for today's episode? We watched The Projectionist from director Abel Ferreira, who has an interesting filmography of challenging viewers with, at least, I could attest to myself, I don't think I've given a single Abel Ferreira film more than a two and a half and a three, because, like, there's just mm-hmm. so many things that are impressed about it, and then I'm just like, but what did I just watch? And this film focuses on a proprietor of movie theaters in the Queens area. And it's kind of a biopic of him. It's kind of an introspection on the evolution of theaters in that area in New York. And kind of uh, support for like why we need to keep going to the movie theaters. All rolled into one. In an hour and 22 yeah. minutes. <laughs> well, when, when you put it like that, I guess I do, uh, I guess I do have a higher opinion on it than I initially thought. Um, I did not love this as much as Shane did, uh, but I do have a very particular reason for that. And the reason is completely and totally biased, which I am more than happy to admit to right out of the gate. Um, so I work at a local cinema. I work at a movie theater here in Chatham, Massachusetts called the Orpheum. Uh, and this the, these discussions uh, that that th- this movie has uh, about movie theaters and about the state of movie theaters and all that, I feel like so I have been having those conversations uh, at my place of work with my with my various bosses over the course of the last seven years that I've worked there, and so I was hoping that this documentary w- would would give me insight, like would give me. It does give a history and it does give an insight into the theater scene in, in, in specifically the New York City area. But at the same time, I, I just feel like I personally didn't gain anything from watching this. And I know that my experience in that instance is going to be completely different from yours, Shane's, purely because of my history with that. Um, but I also, uh, I also do think it's interesting because um, if this movie was made maybe like a couple of years afterward, a lot of what they would be talking about is competing with streaming because that is like, like that has been all that mm-hmm. the theater industry has really been really been about um, over the course of the last couple of years, just purely because of the combination of COVID and the rise of all these various streaming services and, and, and how that's really affected uh, the theater going industry. And, and, and generally I, I don't think it's not interesting. I just feel like, 
Um, I personally could not find enough to take away from this documentary to really have like a great um, experience. I did like the subject though. Uh, Nicola, mm-hmm. uh, Nicolau, uh, I thought he was like, like he was a very like charming protagonist to follow, but just mm-hmm. um, generally the, like when the, when it got into the nitty gritty, I feel like it was very surface level. And then again, I'm me. I come from the background that I do. So it, it, like it, it's, it's very different for me than it would be for someone else. I do think it's important to frame the film with what you expect the film to be about, because it definitely is a lot less about what fi- like theaters are like now. And the, cause like, I'll admit towards the end of the film, I'm pretty sure they only spend less than 10 minutes talking about the present state of cinema. Mm-hmm. And you, you're right. They don't go too deep into it. And I feel like, this film has become so outdated so quickly because this is a 2019 film and so much has happened (laughs) to the world of theaters in the past couple of years that like there's so many different challenges now that you're watching this like a time capsule and have to remember back to yeah COVID didn't happen yet and like at least in 2019, it was really still mostly just Netflix. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really interesting that you have this context and like other streaming services were budding. So like, I do admit, and I feel like his perspective is a little overly simplified of like, you know, all you need is a dark theater comfy seat and a good movie and people are going to come to the theaters and it's just like is it um at least not right now not in 2023 it's not that easy you could have great films like the fablemans falling flat on their faces at a theater we have theaters with reclining seats and stuff like that and like i know he mentioned like not playing any of the games and stuff like that because there's so many bells and whistles in so many theaters now to get you to come to theaters. Uh, And to be frank, I'm not about all those things either. Maybe I uh, connected with this old grumpy guy who's just like, you know, you just need to see it in a movie. (laughs) That's kind of how I feel about it. Because, like, I'll sit in the most uncomfortable theaters, but if they're showing movies that I want to see, like, I just got home from seeing Holy Spider with my wife. Mm-hmm. There's, like, one theater around here playing it, and I went there. Is it the <laughs> nicest theater? Heck no. They can't even get the movies to start on time there. Really? Ever. Not a single movie starts on time there. It's always wow. at least a couple minutes late. Yeah. Um, but it's one of those kinds of things where you have all these experiences and this film, I feel like so much more about this man and his Mm -hmm. perspective. And I think looking at it from that perspective, I think it's a really interesting biopic of an immigrant story and his perspective on the evolution of theaters. Absolutely. Yeah. When, when you look at it like that, it is a, it is a much, um, it is a much more different story. And I, I wish that the synopsis had framed it that way, because I think I, you know, they say not to let um, preconceived expectations going into something affect you, but 
I think that the, the fact of the matter is they will, whether you like it or not. If you know anything about a movie, it's going to sway you, even if you're not expecting it uh, or, or wanting it. And, and, and so that is what I feel uh, ha- happened here. And that is unfortunate because I wish that I could have had a better experience with this. But, you know, that is just how it happens. And there is nothing I can do but, but perhaps go back at some point and, uh, and look at it with a, with, with a fresh pair of eyes. Well, and I think there's a big warning to put on this, too, because he gets very detailed into the fact that a lot of theaters in the New York area started as adult theaters. And there's a whole entire stretch of this film where there's a lot of pornography in it. So so much. Fun. Uh, oh, just, my God. <laughs> just be prepared to see a lot of breasts and penises. Because yep. they're there. It was funny because I had started watching this before my wife came down from bed and she comes down one of the first scenes she sees is just right there just hanging out <laughs> so she's just like what are you watching and i'm like this is about theaters and it's like why would this be going on i'm like jess it's an adult burlesque show like yeah what else are you going for it's just how it goes yeah just how it goes and i do find it very interesting the history of how a lot of those theaters evolved and you know you have to get your footing somewhere and not gonna lie it just kept making me think of the gag from what we do in the shadows where laz was like you know when i was younger and there's the dawn of cinema and I became an actor and then got right into pornography. <laughs> <laughs> and then he became like one of the most prolific porn actors ever. Yeah. And it's one of those kinds of things. It's like, or like, uh, even like they talk about Tropic Thunder. It's just like, if you're going to be making movies, people are going to watch dirty things at some point. Right. So, and this <laughs> film, it's like, able like i'm watching the first third of this movie being like how is this an abel ferrera film just like this is a sweet introspective immigrant story and then all the pornography started i'm like ah there we "Ah, go that's what was missing (laughs) this makes a lot more sense (laughs) because like there's not a lot of filmmakers i think that would dive into this film and go full-blown into really being detailed and brutally honest about that and I give this film credit because it does. Yep. Didn't need to show that much? Probably not. <laughs> I think it probably made its point after, you know, the first couple sets of genitalia. But, you know, yeah. just kept I going. Mean, once you've seen one, you've seen them all. So, like, <laughs> uh, just more? Why not? Just throw as many as you want on there. <laughs> I, I feel like Abel Ferrer at some point was just like, yep, more. How more. much porn should we have in this movie? Yes. It's like... You could easily use that Kylo Ren meme of like more, yeah. more. Um, <laughs> Abel Ferreira in the editing room. <laughs> in the editing room, hundred percent. Yeah, there you go. But generally, I think it's an I think it's an interesting story of a man who has a fascinating narrative of how he came to this country, got involved in the theater business. And how he's still going. And honestly, I'd be interested to do some research because I haven't yet on what he's doing now. Absolutely. Especially like, after the pandemic. Yeah. Is it because like, you know, he's having conversations about having to be bailed out and bought out and stuff like that. And it's just like this wasn't even when COVID. Happened. Right. So then it's just like, oh, much worse now. So it's an interesting, I think. 
it's also hard because you have to watch this like a time capsule, even though this is only four years old. Yeah. But that's how much the film industry's changed in the past four years. So that's the experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it uh, a quick Google search um, tells me that he is still operating five theaters in New York City, including uh, uh, the uh, wait, hold on. Uh, three independent cinemas in New York City, including the oldest still operating theater in uh, the five boroughs. So he's seems like he's still doing great. Still doing it. Yep. That's exciting. We love to hear it. Very much so. Uh, but Shane, I do have to ask, uh, and I have a feeling we're not going to really agree like yeah. we did last week. Uh, where does The Projectionist rank on your list of the 36 movies that we have watched so far? This is my number 14, and I had 14. it right below Hard Boiled and right above Vampire. Very nice. Um, mine is, uh, it, it's number 29 for me. Uh, so right above uh, Viva Las Vegas and right below Rubber. So there, there we go. <laughs> um, we are going to talk about three categories today. Uh, documentaries, documentaries about uh, film or filmmakers, uh, like the people who make film in general, and the year 2019, uh, in which we have not covered so far. So a year in the 21st century that we haven't oh, gotten to yet. And what a year. What a year. What the a last, year. The last uh, pre-COVID year and what a year it was. Yeah. Um, but uh, let's start off with our with our top five uh, general documentaries. Uh, Shane, you're up first. My number five is Three Identical Strangers because, my God, when I watched this documentary for the first time, this blew my mind. <laughs> this is, like, one of the craziest true crime stories and, like, this documentary comes out of nowhere that bad stuff was going on. Like, you do not expect it. It's just a story about three long-lost triplets. And then things get weird. Um, my number four, I love this film. And this is extremely biased, but The Booksellers. Um, this is a documentary about bookstores in New York City. And it's I remember watching this at the dawn of covid when virtual cinemas were big for indie theaters. I rented this mm-hmm. in Princeton Garden Theater and fell in love with this. Um, my number three is, Won't You Be My Neighbor? I'm looking at you, Academy Awards, you heartless bastards. How did this not win Best Documentary, let alone be nominated for Best Documentary? Because this movie about Fred Rogers melted my heart. <laughs> um, this is extremely biased, but I'm... One of the biggest Rush fans I think you'll ever meet and Rush Beyond the Lighted Stage is one of my favorite documentaries of all time. I can watch this, put this into any moment and just get lost in the the journey that is about this band Rush. And then my number one is The Last Waltz, which is a concert documentary by Martin Scorsese. And it's I'm a huge rock doc fan like if i'm gonna watch a documentary probably the ones that i love the most are ones about rock music and the last waltz is one of the most incredible concerts i think i've ever seen and just you know you have martin scorsese directing it so it's pretty special yeah (laughs) scorsese um has another uh, uh music doc coming out on showtime sometime earlier this year i saw it at the new york film festival um, last in the fall with uh, with with Foster and that is it's it's too long but it is definitely a lot of fun. Uh, so oh my I god, what's it check, about? Check that out. It's about uh, David Johansson of the New York Dolls who really set the stage for a lot of really influential music in the seventies, uh, and he's still doing music today and he's really good. 
Um, so uh, yeah, it's called a uh, personality crisis one night only. And I, I don't he know the exact date it's, it's, it's coming out, but he has a three plus hour documentary about George Harrison on HBO. <laughs> and I love wow. that. One. That's, that's a special documentary. I love yeah. that one too. That's yeah. definitely an honorable mention. Mm-hmm. Um, my number five is flea. Uh, the uh, film about um, an uh, Afghan refugee, I believe, uh, that just absolutely hit me super hard when I first saw it uh, about a year ago, I guess. Um, number four is uh, Behind the Curve, a documentary about flat earthers that dunks on them the entire time, <laughs> while also showing the fact that they're just real people and that they are, in fact, like they're just like us, except they believe something very different than what is accepted. Um, I really, really enjoyed this. It's it's very, uh, very, very sweet in a way. Uh, number three is Navalny, uh, the documentary on HBO Max about Alexei Navalny that came out last year. I saw it at Sundance. And um, this was very like pretty soon after he had went back to Russia and gotten detained. Um, so it's definitely very like still topical uh, at that point. So definitely check this out too. Uh, number two is uh, Stop Making Sense, the Talking Heads concert film directed by Jonathan Demme. That is my favorite uh, music uh, doc. Um, David Byrne, is, he just commands the stage so well. Uh, and and I'm, I'm glad that... Um, glad that i saw this number one is the territory a national geographic documentary that came out uh at the end of of, of next year uh my class uh, my, my producing class last semester had a uh, a screening and then a q a right afterward with the director so we got to chat with him about it um That's really cool yeah i i thought this it was absolutely fantastic one of my favorites of last year just overall um and uh, yeah so those are my those, are, those are my top five yeah uh next up is documentaries specifically about film or the people who make them so this is mu- a much more nebulous uh category that mm-hmm. you can really jam anything uh into uh shane what is your top five some of these might be a slight stretch but we'll yeah, I mean, find so out so are mine so are mine um, don't worry about it <laughs> i have woodland's dark and days bewitched which is a three plus hour documentary about folk horror films i remember getting a shutter screener for this and just realized like oh my god this is three plus hours and then never once losing interest watching this movie and you know they dot deep into like the wicker man robert eggers is all over this he's throughout it because you know like he's a f- historian of course uh, my number four is the last blockbuster this one just hit me in a certain way because this is a very specific part of the experience growing up for me getting things from blockbuster mm-hmm. and it's it's a dead it's a dead art there um my number three is hodorowsky's dune my god if this existed it would be the trippiest movie ever made i want to see it so bad uh, my number two is hearts of darkness a filmmaker's apocalypse which is about the making of apocalypse now and my god the insanity and my number one life itself the documentary about um roger ebert and just that it hit me on a whole like a deep emotional level like i remember getting that dvd for like two dollars somewhere and then popping it in and just falling in love with it very nice i had never actually heard of the uh, ebert doc so i'll definitely have to check that out yeah. um at some point i love roger ebert his, his, his reviews very much uh influenced mine when i when i was starting out um 
my number five is uh, Tongues Untied, a documentary by Marlon Riggs about both his, his upbringing and, um, and homosexuality uh, in, uh, in, in, with black men uh, that, I, that I watched for an experimental documentary course last year. I thought it was very good. Uh, number four is Hearts of Darkness, for all the reasons Shane mentioned. What an insane production Apocalypse Now had, and what a nightmare it seems to have been. But hey, it made one of the greatest movies ever. Yeah, and so. it broke Francis Ford Coppola permanently, I'm convinced. Yeah. Oh, I, I would not. I would not doubt it. Um, number three is F for Fake, uh, which I believe popped up on our, my 1973 list last week. Uh, this is an Orson Welles um, documentary uh, where he basically examines where is the line between uh, between uh, reality and and falseness and, uh, and, and, and how do you yourself reconcile with where that line is? Uh, number two is Man with a Movie Camera, uh, a silent documentary from the 1920s about the power of film, essentially, uh, directed by Russian filmmaker uh, Ziga Vertov. And number one is The Beaches of Agnes, directed by Agnes Varda, because I love her so much. And she's just a sweet old French lady uh, who loves making films and loves talking about uh, making films and just talking about life in general. And I really, really um, enjoyed just spending a couple hours with her. Um, so, yeah. There you go. I have a whole lot of documentaries to add to my watch list. Hell yeah. Uh, number, I, I guess next is our, our final category, the year 2019. Uh, so incredibly difficult uh, to, uh, to narrow this down. And I think, uh, I think all of these are on my top hundred uh, ever. So I, it, 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 it was really difficult uh, to, to narrow these all down. But uh, Shane, your top five from the year 2019. I think my top 25 of 2019 is prolific. Yeah. Like, there's just so many great films that came out that year. Uh-huh. Uh, my number five is Knives Out, which is on the psyche of everybody right now because, my God, what an amazing uh, whodunit and the birth of Benoit Blanc. Um, my number four, which might be low for a lot of people, is Parasite, which just what, how impactful an international film can be coming out of nowhere and blowing everybody's minds. The class warfare in this film, the dark humor of it, the twists and turns. My number three is The Lighthouse, huge Robert Eggers fan, and this is... One of the most disturbing and weird experiences I think you could ever have. And I watched this in the front row of a movie theater because I didn't think I would need to get tickets beforehand on a Friday night to go see The Lighthouse. (laughs) And I was wrong. Um, My number two is 1917, which, uh, The Deacons. Just The Deacons. And just the technical prowess of this film. And my number one, Jojo Rabbit. (laughs) <laughs> because I love this movie to pieces. It's hilarious. It's de- emotionally devastating. I saw this in a double feature at my favorite AMC, Parasite and wow. Jojo Rabbit in the same day. <laughs> what a day. What a day. What a day indeed. Um, my number five is Dr. Sleep, the sequel to The Shining that I think is much better than anyone says. And don't let them tell you otherwise. Uh, check out the director's cut if you have never done that, because it adds a lot and is paced a lot better than, than the theatrical version. Uh, number four is Parasite, for all the reasons Shane mentioned. Just an absolutely uh, incredible film. And if you can get past, as Bong Joon-ho has said, that little two-inch 
um, barrier at the bottom of the screen, there's some really friggin' good cinema as, as we've talked about a lot on this podcast. We've, we, we've spotlit um, a, a, a decent amount of um, films from, 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 from some great countries out there that a lot of casual filmgoers are not necessarily aware of. Uh, number three is Rocket Man, the Elton John musical biopic that uh, makes me cry almost every time. Uh, I think it, it it is absolutely genius, and and I'm glad that it was made with Elton uh, involved because that that just lends it a certain authenticity. Even though this is a fantasy, um, it 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 feels very honest, uh, and and in a way that it might not have been had it been made a little while before this. Uh, number two, yeah. <laughs> uh number two is avengers endgame uh which you're talking about like finales to anything endgame is as perfect as you can get three hours just speeds right by yep. uh and and just it, it hits all of the emotional punches very very well yep. um number one is knives out my favorite mystery my i think it's number five of 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 all time for me just absolute perfection extremely tight um daniel craig and the rest of the cast for that matter is just absolutely spotless um and uh shane i don't know did, did you see there was a video circulating twitter uh the other day of um a scene from no time to die uh where someone spotted benoit blanc coming out a little bit in uh, in, in daniel craig's performance I'll I'm, send it to you I'm because trying to think of it's when he's scene. interrogating Blofeld in the cell and he does the sort of like wide eyed thing as he's explaining like, like um, his, his uh, <laughs> plan to him. And I think I, I didn't notice it when I first saw it. And now it makes so much sense because he would have just come off of knives out. Well, it's so dumb. <laughs> it's so dumb. It's really, no, it's just dumb. <laughs> That's yeah. that might be one of my favorite exchanges at any movie from this year. Oh, sorry, yeah. not this year, 2022. Because God, go. it's 2023 already. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, got a lot of recommendations uh, on on, yep. on this episode. Some some probably more obscure ones than we've talked about on the show so far. But um, uh, next week we will be talking about the BBC. Uh, mockumentary comedy from the 90s called Ghost Watch, which I am very excited uh, to check out. It looks appropriately ridiculous. Uh, and Shane, where can the people find you if they want to hear more from you? Head on over to the Wasteland Reviewer Instagram page where you can see where I share all of my stuff. Whether it's from the Wasteland Reviewer YouTube channel with all of my wonderful shows, including all the times that Rowan comes on because he's a pal, and all the things that I write for Sif Pop and Scribe Magazine. Very exciting. Um, I, uh, you can find me at the leniencritic.com. That's L E N I E N T critic or at bits of Joel on Twitter. If you're interested that, uh, Twitter handle is especially prevalent tonight because we are recording this on, uh, January 15th when the last of us is premiering. And I am, I could not be more excited. Oh, it is. It's coming. I'll probably it's be coming. watching it tomorrow because yeah. I'm going to be watching it with my wife and yeah. she'll be in bed. <laughs> it's also long. Started. The premiere is 90 minutes. So, yeah. yeah, there's a lot to get through. But, uh, yeah, so we want to thank you all very much out there for listening. We really, really appreciate you uh, taking the time to support our little show. And uh, we'll be back next week with a brand new episode of Rowan and the Wasteland.